It's Friday, June 18th, 2010, and you've got Oz in your ears. This is Peter Bergman on the road for Radio Free Oz, and I'm in the Hello Kitty Main Cathedral of the Church of One Way Light, listening to Pastor Mercer Berther wind up his sermon to the 5,000 One Way Lighters here in the hall. Many of my flock have come up on me and asked, Pastor, how can we be sure that we're real Americans? And not a bunch of undocumented parasites like all the not-me's out there. And I say that God has given you more than two punched stone tablets, more than one rosy crosshair, more than a thousand virgins waiting on the wrong side of heaven for themselves. He has given you his most precious seal. He has certified us. And we noose that holy ticket around our necks and hang it proudly twixt our breasts. Pastor of uh, Peter Bergman, Radio Free Oz. Hey, you really had the congregation in the palm of your hand. Well, it's where I like to hold him. Him? Uh, uh, no, no, this, this, my badge, my birthright, my birth certificate. I hold it very dear. May I read it? Sure. Uh, let's see. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Mercer Berther was born to Luther and Bertha Berther mm-hmm. on July 3rd, 1951, attested by Corliss McClutter, the redundant register of Hintville, Arizona. Yes, I'm a Hintville hyena, class of 67. Summer nights under the bleachers with the cheerleaders... Or was it the drum majors? Well, anyway, walk with me through the one-light trade show to my lair. (laughs) The Church of One-Way Light welcomes the North Oklahoma Teabag Dips and the Phoenix chapter of the Fun Famished Freeloaders. You're wearing your ticket, so come in and kick it. So, where's yours? Where's my what? Your certificate, pilgrim. Oh, 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 this. No, not your press pass. That's not your American ticket. Any tanned, skin, clean-shaven, wide-hipped terrorist could walk in here with one of those. Well, I don't find it necessary to walk around with my birth certificate hung around my neck, Pastor. Obamanite. I'm not the president's man. Hey, he ain't the president, because he won't sport a ticket. So I don't have to pay him taxes so he can go sleep with Che and Mao. Go easy on him, Lighter. He's a tweeny. Tweeny? Yeah, you're tween, being an idiot and getting a ticket. Down here, you don't wear one of those. They're likely to drag you off and push your ass through the wrong face of the fence. I saw a lot of uh, soldiers in the cathedral, Pastor. Oh, that's the one-way light brigade. They're not going back to AFPAC. Until Mr. B. Hussein up there in the White House flashes his membership. And what if he does produce his birth certificate? What then? Well, I'd say that any man who can manipulate the Internet to get elected president is capable of going up there and getting a counterfeit ticket. No, that not me is keen you bound. We'll throw away the election and Senator Dang Fence and Mama Grizzly will take over... And then it's one-way light all the way. This is Peter Bergman for Radio Free Oz, and I'm getting my ticket out of here. 
You've got Oz, the best of the best. Let's get going. On his weekly radio and internet address from the barrier island town of Grand Isle, Louisiana, President Barack Obama said that he will stand with Gulf Coast residents until they are made whole from the oil spill catastrophe. Let me stop right there. All the nattering nabobs and the talking heads are accusing Obama of being weak on this disaster, of bungling and, and, and trusting the, the experts and, and going with BP for much too long. You know, it's true. It's a very, very complicated situation. Of course, when it did happen, where else was he going to turn? Um, the oil industry were the only people digging a mile deep. All right. So, yeah, it's been a tough time. But when all is said and done, in fact, by the midterms, what people are going to remember are statements like, I will stand with you Gulf Coast residents until you are made whole. This is the opposite. This is the flip side of George Bush and Katrina. Barack Obama does have a heart. He spoke of the people he'd met, an oyster fisherman named Floyd, whose oyster beds have been destroyed by oil, and Terry, a shrimper who is losing income because shrimp fishing has been shut down. Obama, these folks worked hard. They meet their responsibilities. But now, because of a man-made catastrophe, one that's not their fault and that's beyond their control, their lives have been thrown into turmoil. It's brutally unfair. It's wrong. And what I told these men and women and what I have said since the beginning of this disaster is that I'm going to stand with the people of the Gulf Coast until they are made whole. Yep, that's what he will be remembered for. And in an increasingly forceful tone that he's been directing towards BP, the British oil giant that was drilling the well that blew up, Obama said, we will make sure they pay every single dime owed to the people along the Gulf Coast. Obama was thoroughly displeased with a $50 million ad campaign that BP is running, featuring CEO Tony Hayward pledging to fix the damage caused by an undersea gusher and do everything we can so that this never happens again. I don't have a problem with BP fulfilling its legal obligations, Obama said. What I don't want to hear is when they're spending that kind of money on their shareholders and spending that kind of money on TV advertising that they're nickel and diming fishermen or small businesses here in the Gulf who are having a hard time. Obama said the money should have been spent on cleanup efforts and on compensating fishermen and small business owners who have lost their jobs because of the spill. Now, Hayward, this is Tony Hayward, the CEO. You know, I asked myself, how did such a young guy become the CEO of a company that makes $17 billion a year in profits? That's after they've paid for all of the faulty, you know, faulty platforms and paid off all the politicians and paid themselves enormous amounts of money and paid politicians and spin doctors and spin mistresses. They still made $17 billion. How did this this young, charming guy become their CEO. And I I finally figured it out. He looks like Tony Blair. He's not an oil engineer, probably just went through business school as quickly as possible, but he must be quite charismatic. He must be the person they send out to, you know, to basically uh, lamplight all those uh, heads of government and various other people who think he's just charming and the money he hands out is just charming. And all they have to do is turn their back while BP does their worst. Okay. Hayward narrates the ad over images of boom laying in clear water before uncontaminated marshes and healthy pelicans. Cleanup crews walk with trash bags on white sand beaches as he touts the oil giant's response efforts. 
The ad's imagery clashes, unfortunately, with disturbing news photographs published recently of pelicans coated in oil, gunk dripping from their beaks. Well, I just guess the, the people that made the ad just missed that one. As the ad fades out to show BP's website and volunteer hotline, Hayward says, We will get this done. We will make this right. And here's BP's latest gambit. They've purchased several phrases on search engines such as Google and Yahoo so that the first result that shows up directs information seekers to the company's official website. A simple Google search of oil spill turns up several thousand news results, but the first link highlighted at the very top of the page is from BP. Quote, learn more about how BP is helping, the link's tagline reads. So they're spending a fortune not only on, on, on bogus TV ads, but they're spending a fortune buying keywords on Google and Yahoo. Hey, Google. Hey, Yahoo. Why are you selling them those keywords? Because it's an open market? Because it's an amoral space? Hey, come on! Well, Peter, I'm speaking to you from underneath the underwater plume right now, just hoping there's some good news out there on the horizon. Well, Can't there, see any from here. But. There is. Remember yeah. the Reverend Ted Haggard, the one who had the huge church and big homophobe and all that, and they discovered that he was homosexual and was having and methamphetamine-based relationships with a gay masseuse or something like that. Something and, like that. And then they excommunicated him from his mega church, and it was just awful. Well, Reverend Ted Haggard gave a press conference recently to make a big announcement about his career path. He's back? And what an announcement it was. Okay. Outside of his home in Colorado Springs, which is where all the Christians are, yep. with his family by his side, they stuck with him, mm -hmm. Haggard revealed that he's starting a new church. Okay, now if he's still got his family by his side, he's either by or, or his wife is getting... Uh, something else happening somewhere else. I don't know. I don't want to pretend. It was a big church. Big church. There's, right? uh, it's a big it's, church. It's, there's room for everyone. Yeah. Haggard said that many may believe he's not qualified to be a pastor again, but he thinks that because of what we've been through, he's qualified to help other people in need. This is the Charles Colson defense. Yeah, but he ain't no Colson. <laughs> okay. Haggard, of course, is referring to 2006 when he admitted to a homosexual affair amid allegations of drug use. He was the founder and leader of the evangelical New Life Church at the time, but was excommunicated following the revel revelations. All right. He said that his new church, St. James Church in Colorado Springs, will welcome everyone, including those who are gay, straight, bi, tall, short, whether you're an addict, a recovering addict, or you have an addict in your family. Democrats are welcome. Republicans are welcome. Independents are welcome, Hag Haggard added. Referring to the scandal as the crash, Haggard noted that since it happened, I don't judge people anymore. However, he did emphasize that there will be no gay marriages performed in the church because God's ideal plan for a marriage is the union of a man and a woman. Haggard added that it's also God's ideal that we all have our weight under control, but that doesn't always happen. I don't want to be a political activist, Haggard said. I want to help people. Well, bless him, bless him. Bless him, Absolutely. man. Yeah, I mean, you know, he is no Colson. When, when Proctor and I were on the um, Maury Povich show in Washington, D.C. many years ago, uh, we did it many times, uh, Colson preceded us once and wouldn't allow us on set. He would not allow the likes of us to be on set as he did his whole Christian criminal prison stuff. No, no, I'll tell you, Haggard, I mean, Charles Colson is no Ted Haggard. More news in the wake of the Tuesday primaries. Seems a lot of teabag dips got 
put into office, it's going to make it easier for some of the people they're running against if they're extreme enough. And I think in this case, we've got one. The peculiar ideology of Sharon Angle, the Republican nominee challenging Senator Harry Reid in Nevada, is perhaps no better illustrated than by her embrace of the patriot group Oath Keepers, whose membership of uniformed soldiers and police take an oath to refuse orders they see as unconstitutional, including enforcement of gun laws, violation of state sovereignty, and any order to blockade American cities, thus turning them into giant concentration camps. People call themselves patriots. I don't know. Back in April, Engel told a press gaggle in Washington that she was a member of the Oath Keepers. Now, uh, members of the Oath Keepers have a motto, not on our watch. And they take a 10-item oath affirming that they will not, for example, force citizens into detention camps or invade a state that asserts its sovereignty and declares the national government to be in violation of the compact by which the state entered the Union. We're going right back to 1860. This is just insane. The Reed camp is already signaling its plans to paint Angle as an extremist. That shouldn't be hard, or even a paranoid. And that shouldn't be hard. By highlighting statements like a recent observation that Americans are afraid they'll have to fight for their liberty in more Second Amendment kinds of ways, i.e. armed resistance. To what? The Oath Keepers are preoccupied with nightmarish visions of U.S. citizens being marched into Nazi-style concentration camps. One part of the Oath Keepers' creed reads, Such a vile order to forcibly intern Americans without charges or trial would be an act of war against the American people, and thus an act of treason, regardless of the pretext used. We will not commit treason, nor will we facilitate or support it. Not on our watch." This, this is homegrown American craziness, and it is the bellwether of the time to come. As we go through this great tipping point, as we begin to face not the American century, perhaps, but something very different, there are going to be a lot of Oath Keepers creeping around. Hey, Pete, and here we are on a Thursday, and the oil is still spilling. Oh, man. Blah, 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 blah. What are we going to do about that? I don't know. I don't know. They tried to cap it. Now, basically, they're just trying to cover it up. You know what I mean? If the cap doesn't work, just deny it. Just cover it up. Do something. Those those pelicans are just fine. They like all that oil. It kind of snakes. Well, it gets very friendly when they get uh, taken into homes and cleaned up and everything. I mean, that's the animal. It's an animal-human relationship. It's a bonding Bonding. experience, right? Absolutely. Speaking of bonding. (laughs) Bonding by the barrel. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, I, uh, yep. our latest teabagger. Uh, you oh, know, we, another we got, teabag we, story. Well, we got the teabagger opening, so yeah. we may as well like, continue the, the, the thought. The big teabagger now is Sharon Angle because she's the one that's running against Harry Reid in Nevada. Mm-hmm. And like she's totally whacked. So everybody has a chance to, to look into the latest whack from Angle. Well, turns out she spoke out strongly against fluoride. This is before, a while ago, the substance known alternately for improving dental health and as a communist plot to undermine Western yeah, that's democracy. A, that is a you real 50s get, item. <laughs> you can guess which side she was on that. <laughs> she also suggested support for making alcohol consumption illegal. Let's go back to prohibition. That's not very teabaggy, though, is it exactly? Well, that doesn't sound teabaggy. No. certainly doesn't sound libertarian, but no. go on. But then there's another. She's not through yet. Uh-huh. And she noted that 
1999, she had a proposal of a bill that would have required doctors to inform women seeking abortions about a controversial theory linking an increased risk of breast cancer with abortion. She's, of course, devotedly pro-life, but the abortion causes breast cancer theory is a myth spread in part to discourage abortions. Well, yes, a myth. And she, she, she propounded this in 1999. But wait a minute, I want to go back to those first two. Those are weird thoughts. Yeah, I mean, fluoride is a... Where, what? Uh, the, Who the, came up with that? That the, wasn't even well, Bircher stuff, was, was it? No, it was kind of a... It was sort of a... The government is poisoning us by putting fluoride. It was a, a, a know-nothing thing, you know, yeah. because it, fluoride was, you know... A, 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 a chemical right. that they were putting in public water supplies. To, to and, reduce cavities. Yeah, well, they thought it was to reduce your brain, and it was a communist conspiracy. But this is like 1950s. Who even thought of that since then? Well, but, but the thing is, the teabaggers are basically a sink of conspiracies. Any conspiracy theory works with those nuts. It really does. I mean, I expect one of them to stand up and say, you know, <laughs> we never went to the moon. Barack Obama says we went to the moon. He implies it when he talks to NASA, but we never went. We never went. Well, that's. I'm glad they're, you know, they could have. The thing about the teabaggers is that when they get the tea parties together, they, they're really going to have a good time because they've got these great things to talk about. They'll never run out of conspiracy theories. Absolutely. The, 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 the mud will never get deep enough that they can't jump in and slosh around and, and dig around. And if they just look at what actually happened and in is this country happening. and is happening every day and went after that, oh, boy. Well, it, that would make some sense. It would be a different party. Another chapter in why we need the new New Deal. The rate of children living in poverty this year will climb to nearly 22%. That's more than one out of five children living in poverty. I grew up in Shaker Heights, Ohio. I didn't know what poverty was. I went to Yale. I didn't know what poverty was. I've lived on the west side of Los Angeles and never knew what poverty was. But one out of five, a little more than one out of five children in the United States today are growing up in poverty. It's the highest rate in two decades. According to an analysis by the Nonprofit Foundation for Child Development, nearly 17% of children were living in poverty in 2006 before the recession began. I love it, the recession. The worst they get is the double dip recession. That's the closest to D words that they can get to, double dip. Sounds like ice cream, not hard times. It's a depression, bozo, figure it out. The report projects that the percentage of children living in families with an insecure source of food has risen from about 17% in 2007 to nearly 18% in 2010, an increase of 750,000 children. Insecure source of food, not knowing where their next meal is coming from, and these are kids. Up to 500,000 children may be homeless this year, living either in shelters or places not meant for habitation. Oh, my. Judith Palfrey, president of the American Academy of Pediatrics, says family poverty increases many risks for children, yeah, including uh, low birth weight, premature delivery, learning problems, asthma, and other health problems. So not only are you poor or maybe homeless or don't know where your next meal is coming from, but you're probably sicker. But, ah, don't worry, here come the rosy glasses. The Conservative Heritage Foundation's Robert Rector 
says the index offers little new information. He says the report doesn't mention that poor children's family incomes are supplemented by programs such as food stamps and housing assistance. I quote Robbie, most of the report is an advertising tool for more government programs and spending, which are pretty ineffective in increasing child well-being, he says. Well, count on that reactionary think tank to put on the rosy glasses. The Heritage Foundation, supported by the great right wing. And all this man can say, I'm sure, by the way, you have to get a steel heart transplant to work for these people. All he can say is, the the report is inconclusive, that it doesn't give us any new information. Isn't the old information bad enough, Robbie boy? The recession could wipe out virtually all economic progress for children since the Foundation for Child Development began analyzing data back in 1975. The U.S. Census Bureau says nearly 19% of families with children had incomes below the federal poverty level of $22,025 for a family of four in 2008. That's before taxes. Children could suffer long after the recession, Anne's Palfrey says. A pregnant woman with poor nutrition is more likely to deliver prematurely, for example, increasing the risk that her child will have medical problems. The consequences of poverty build on themselves, Palfrey says, so that the outcomes can be felt for years to come. Yes, years to come. We have to start getting ourselves together. Enough of this rampant individualism. Enough of this rampant zero-sum game. If I got it, you ain't. Hey, what about... The Commonwealth. A lot of people say that Rand Paul, the you know the guy that that's now running for senator uh, in Kentucky, is certifiable. But I don't know about that. All I know is that he's not certified. At really, least, not certified. Not well certified. Okay, I thought he was an ophthalmologist. Well, he, he said yeah. in his resume that he's a board-certified ophthalmologist, uh-huh. even though the National Clearinghouse for such certifications says he hasn't been for, been so for the past five years. Paul, who practices in Bowling Green, says he is certified by the National Board of Ophthalmology, a group that he incorporated in 1999 and that he heads. Really? Yeah. yeah he, but that entity is not recognized by the American Board of Medical Specialties, which works with the AMA to approve such specialty boards. Uh-huh. Lori Bukas, a spokesman for the American Board of Medical Specialties, said her organization considers certifications to be valid only if they are done by the 24 groups that they have approved and it works with the AMA. So he didn't get approved. So what does he do, the great libertarian? Mm-hmm. He creates his own creates board. His own. Well, I and think you know that's, what? Yeah. He let himself in immediately. That's the, that's the libertarian way. You know, there's going to be the Department of Licensing that is a self, you know, it's Dave's Department of Licensing. That gives Dave a driver's license and you don't have to worry about any going in and taking a test or anything like that. Yeah, the guy that's about to, you know, about to put something in your eye or maybe the surgeon's about to take your heart out, board certified? Yeah. I just formed the organization yesterday. I did just fine. Yeah, all me and my neighbors, we sit around, we practice with our knives and our guns, and and, uh, we know how to eviscerate and do all those things, so we're the board of evisceration. That's easy. You know, you you can establish, I mean, think of taking over, like, the Department of Defense. Right. You know? This is Rand Paul's Department of Defense. You yeah, know, where I get those tanks over there. You know, <laughs> move those troops into, out of, between, around, around Afghanistan. Any, anyway, whatever he says goes because yeah, he runs the, the show. He runs the board. I think that's a great libertarian solution. Here's some hopeful news from McNewspaper. 
The Venerable Claremont School of Theology, which has taught Methodist ministers and theologians for more than a century, will try an unorthodox approach this fall, cross-training the nation's future Muslim, Christian, and Jewish religious leaders in classrooms scattered around Southern California as they work toward their respective degrees. I wonder what kind of cross-trainers you have to wear to sit in a class with other Jews or Muslims or Methodists, depending on your own choice. This experimental approach is intended to create U.S. religious leaders who not only preach tolerance in an era of religious strife, but who have lived it themselves by rubbing shoulders with those in another in another of the, what they call the Abrahamic faiths. Yeah, Abraham is like a top cat in all three of them. The idea already faces resistance for more conservative elements mm-hmm, uh, because they don't like the idea of watering down their own approach. But Here's what the people of Claremont are saying. Christians attend school with Christians, Jews with Jewish, and Muslims with Muslims, said Reverend Jerry Campbell, president of the Claremont School of Theology. Educating people in a segregated environment is not a way to teach them to be peacemakers. It only steeps them in their own religion and with their own people. It's true, and it's a tough one. It's a real tough one. Because one of the things that makes religion powerful on a personal level is strong belief. All of the liberal religious thinkers, well, they have a problem. They can think twice about something. It may not even be the inerrant word of God. They know there are many Bibles. They know there's the regular Bible. And they know there's the Mel Gibson Bible. And they know there's the Comics Illustrated Bible. And they know there's the Backwards Bible for Blind Satanists. They know things have been changed. So they're willing to adapt. But Fundamentalists, and we find them in all religions, fundamental Jews, Christians, fundamental, you know, Muslims, they're all over the place. Few fundamental Buddhists, and I don't know if there's many fundamental Shintoists, I'll have to figure it out, but the Abrahamic faiths have a tendency to bring forth fanatics because it's a way to stay certain in uncertain times. Blind faith. You may bump into reality now and then, but you know these are bruises only on the way to heaven. Can we pretend that airplanes in the night sky like shooting stars? I can really use a wish right now, wish right now, wish right now. Can we pretend that airplanes in the night sky like shooting stars? I can really use a wish right now, wish right now, wish right now. It's 98, like I'm eating lunch off a styrofoam tray, yeah. trying to be the next rapper coming out the eight, eight hoping down. for a record deal to ignore my pain, yeah, now let's pretend like I'm on the stage, Check, and when my beat drops, everybody goes insane, okay, and everybody know my name, uh-huh. and everywhere I go, people want to hear me sing, <laughs> oh yeah, and I just dropped my new album, on the first week I did 500,000, yes. gold in the spring, and diamond in the fall, okay. and then the world tour just to top it all off. Uh-huh. And let's pretend like they call me the greatest yep. Selling out arenas with big ass stages And everybody love me 
and no one ever hated. Just try to use imagination. Can we pretend that airplanes in the night sky like shooting stars? I can really use a wish right now. Wish right now. Wish right now. Can we pretend that airplanes in the night sky like shooting stars? I can really use a wish right now. Wish right now. Wish right now. Okay. Let's pretend like this never happened. Like I never had dreams of being a rapper. Like I didn't write raps up in all of my classes. Like I never used to run away into the blackness. Now let's pretend like it was all good. Like I didn't live staring in the notebook. Like I did the things that I probably knew I should. But I ain't have neighbors. That's why they call it hood. Yeah. Now let's pretend like I ain't got a name. Before they ever call me B.O.B. or A.K.A. Bobby Ray. I'm talking back before the mixtapes. Before the videos and the deals and the Fame. Yeah. Before they ever once compare me to Andre, before I ever got on my space, yeah. before they ever noticed my face, yeah. so let's just yeah. pretend and make wishes out of airplanes. Can we pretend that airplanes in the night sky like shooting stars? I can really use a wish right now, wish right now, wish right now. Can we pretend that airplanes in the night sky like shooting stars? I can really use a wish right now, wish right now. And it seems like yesterday it was just a dream, but those days are gone. They're just memories. And it seems like yesterday it was just a dream, but those days are gone. Alright, let's pretend Marshall Mathers never picked up a pin Let's pretend things would have been no different Pretend he procrastinated, had no motivation Pretend he just made excuses that were so paper thin They could blow away with the wind Marshall, you're never gonna make it Makes no sense to play the game, there ain't no way that you win Pretend he just stayed outside all day and played with his friends Pretend he even had a friend to say was his friend And it wasn't time to move and schools weren't changing again He wasn't socially awkward and just strange as a kid He had a father and his mother wasn't crazy as shit And he never dreamed he could rip stadiums and just lazy as shit Fuck a talent show in the gymnasium, bitch You want him out the shit, quit daydreaming, kid You need to get your cranium checked You're thinking like an alien, it just ain't realistic Now pretend they ain't just make him angry with this shit And there was no one he could even aim when he's pissed it And his alarm went off to wake him, but he didn't make it To the Rap Olympics, slept through his plane and he missed it He's gonna have a hard time explaining to Haley and Laney These food stamps and this wick shit, cause he never risked shit He hoped and he wished it, but it didn't fall in his lap So he ain't even here, he pretends Airplanes in the night sky like shooting stars. I can really use a wish right now. Wish right now. Wish right now. Can we pretend that airplanes in the night sky like shooting stars? I can really use a wish right now. Wish right now. Wish right now. Okay, this report on Afghanistan comes from the Washington Post. That's the newspaper that Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman worked for. Always one of my favorites. Okay, it appears that residents of Anistan, that's one of the stands inside Afghanistan, 
a one-time Taliban sanctuary see sign that the insurgents have regained momentum in recent weeks, despite early claims of success by U.S. Marines. You know, it, it, it always surprises me, even though I've seen it so many times, pictures of Marines, you know, doing nation building. Marines, to me, you know, Chesty Puller and his Marines hitting the beach. They're only a few good men and all that. They're tough and they're rough and they, and they say Semper Fi to each other at the, you know, at the drop of a helmet. And here they are playing what, you know, State Department wusses. Anyway, the longer than expected effort to secure Marja, and that's the one before Kandahar, is prompting alarm among top American commanders that they will not be able to change the course of the war in the time President Obama has given them. Poor President Obama. Given them, they gave him Afghanistan. Thank you, Mr. Bush. Firefights between insurgents and security forces occur daily, resulting in more Marine fatalities and casualties over the past month than in the first month of the operation, which began in mid-February. So we're losing more people now after the operation is over. The slow and uneven progress has worried senior military officials. Uh, in Kabul and Washington, who intend to use Marja as a model to prove that more troops and a new war strategy can yield profound gains against the Taliban. Our General Stanley A. McChrystal, the top U.S. and NATO commander in Afghanistan, told officers here in late May that there is a growing perception that Marja has become a bleeding ulcer. Once again, I've got to salute McChrystal. I mean, <laughs> a truth teller. He could be saying, well, we're not getting the progress we want. We're making progress that's a little slower than we expected. No, it's a bleeding ulcer. The challenge of stabilizing Marja has also prompted concern among commanders planning a large upcoming operation to combat the Taliban in and around the city of Kandahar. This is the one that was supposed to be starting soon in theaters everywhere or theaters of war everywhere, but because of overrun costs, won't be coming up until September. They are seeking to draw lessons from key problems encountered here and develop new approaches, particularly in increasing the presence of Afghan civil servants. Ha, ha, ha. We're always hearing about how we're going to upgrade the Afghan civil, ser civil servants and the Afghan police. Ha, ha, ha. Does the word Keystone Cops come to mind? The Taliban continues to make its presence felt. Yeah, they live there. They seed the roads with homemade bombs and snipe at Marine patrols. They threaten, beat up, and kill residents who accept U.S. reconstruction assistance. And they still own the night in many parts of the area. Is that familiar? They own the night. I think that's the Billy Joel lyric from We All Go Down, we'll all go down Together, a la Vietnam. Look, I am no in any way supporter of the Taliban. These people are just beasts. These people should be, they should be put away. But the fact is, is that we can't stop them because, one, we don't live there, we don't speak their language, and as far as they're concerned and the rest of the villagers are concerned, we're crusaders! When the Marines entered Marja, they planned to combat the Taliban with a comprehensive counterinsurgency campaign. They went in with overwhelming force, and they had more Afghan soldiers and police officers as partners than in any previous mission. Some Marine officers said they had achieved catastrophic success. Now that, that, I don't know about that one. I've got to try that out on some friends. I'm having a catastrophic success with this. Now, 
It's now clear that the Taliban fighters were regrouping. Many also took a break to participate in the harvest of opium-producing poppies, which pays more per day than working for the insurgency. This is getting more and more surreal, right? We're putting people in jail, ruining lives over overtaking and selling heroin. We have this whole world effort to stop drugs, and yet... <laughs> The Taliban is taking off from, you know, screwing us over in Marja to raise poppies. The insurgents resumed planting improvised explosive devices on the rutted dirt roads after they planted opium, and small units of, of, of fighters started shooting at Marine foot patrols. Their most significant response has been to threaten and sometimes attack residents who have sought to participate in reconstruction programs or work with the Afghan government. You know, this is how vicious these people are. One elder was beheaded after attending a meeting with the district governor. That'll put a pall on uh, local cooperation. Five more were murdered after another gathering. All told, there have been a dozen cases of retaliatory killings of civilians and many more incidents of people being assaulted or receiving threatening letters under their doors at night, according to U.S. officials. Yeah. Well, before the Marja operation, this is again one of my favorite sobriquets from Afghanistan, where Crystal pledged to deliver a government in a box that would provide basic services to the population with the hope of winning its allegiance. The box has turned out to be largely empty. This is kind of a magic trick, isn't it? Here, see? Box full of government, full of hope, full of progress. Open it up in Marja. It's empty! Marja's chief uh, official, Haji Zahir, who spent four years in a German prison for attempting to murder his stepson, this is our man in Marja, is regarded by some of the civilian reconstruction advisor here, here as an ineffective manager with a proclivity for lengthy siestas. So Karzai is dealing secretly with the Taliban, and our man in Marja, who tried to kill his stepson, is asleep. A row of bottles on my shelf caused me to analyze myself. One yellow pill I have to pop goes to my heart so it won't stop. A little white one that I take goes to my hands so they won't shake. The blue ones that I use a lot tell me I'm happy when I'm not. The purple pill goes to my brain and tells me that I have no pain. The capsules tell me not to wheeze or cough or choke or even sneeze. The red ones, smallest of them all, go to my blood so I won't fall. The orange ones, very big and bright, prevent my leg cramps in the night. Such an array of brilliant pills helping to cure all kinds of ills. But what I'd really like to know is what tells each one where to go. Now, get ready for this, David, because this is so way beyond the Valley of the Dolls, okay? <laughs> An Arizona elementary school. I said Arizona. That does it already. Yeah, we know this is going to be wingnut I'm heaven. There. Okay. An Arizona elementary school mural featuring the faces of kids who attend the school has been the subject of constant daytime drive-by racist screaming from adults, as well as the object of a radio talk show host and city councilman Steve Blair, who broadcast... 
I'm not a racist individual, but I will tell you, depicting a black guy in the middle of that mural, based upon who's president of the United States today, and based upon the history of this community, when I grew up, we had four black families who I have been very good friends with for years. To depict the biggest picture on that building as a black person, I would have to ask the question, why? Oh, that's a wonderful sentence just to begin with. Yeah. The school Uh principal ordered the faces of the Latino and black students to be changed to Caucasian skin. No. Yes. I mean, this, you know, no, David, I used to think, well, yeah, this this is just winged up. But you know what? What, What's next? This, what's next? The Arizona version of Kristallnacht? What's it going to be? Taco Nacht? Firebomb? (laughs) Firebomb? All the Taco Bells? uh, Make a bonfire out of Spanish textbooks in front of the courthouse? Well, we wouldn't want these. We wouldn't want any sort of, you know, specifically racist policies to be discussed under. Uh, you know, but school there's good walls. news. There's, there's good, good news. news. There's good news. This oh, is all good news now. The gutless, car-bound, racist lost, and the mural is being restored to its original theme. And Jeff Lane, the principal of Miller Valley Elementary School, and Kevin Cap. The school superintendent showed up at a protest to apologize for giving in to whims of mentally deranged adults spewing racial epithets at a painting. Boy, I'll tell you. And if they if they just thrown you know tar balls at the mural as they drove by, then everybody would be African American.
I've got to believe that BP stands for bad publicity. While President Obama insists that the federal government is firmly in control of the response to the BP spill in the Gulf, people in the coastal communities in Louisiana and Alabama know an inconvenient truth. BP, not the president, controls the response. In fact, people on the ground say things are out of control. Even worse, BP is using federal agencies to shield itself from public accountability. This is part of the growing scandal. How much is the White House covering for BP and why? For example, the thin red line marking the federal flight restrictions of 3,000 feet over the oiled Gulf region has just been jumped to include the coastal barrier islands off Alabama, all of a sudden. There's only one reason for that, a pilot observed. BP doesn't want the media taking pictures of oil on the beaches. You should see the oil that's about six miles off the coast, he said grimly. So the federal government is working with BP to keep people from taking pictures? Oh, my. Uh, Well, the pilot said, we look down at the um, wavy orange booms surrounding the islands below us. The pilot shook his head and said, there's no way those booms are going to stop what's offshore from hitting those beaches. And BP knows this as well. The booms can only deflect oil under the calmest of sea conditions, not barricaded. So they have stepped up their already aggressive effort to control what the public sees. And it ain't going to work. A few days later, the jig was up with the booms. Yeah. The boom, it's now bust. The booms are bust. Oil was making landfall in four states, and even BP can't be everywhere at once. CBS's 60 Minutes found entire sections of boom hung up in marsh grasses two feet above the water off Venice. On the same day on the other side of Barataria Bay, Louisiana Bayou Keeper documented pools of oil and oiled pelicans inside the boom on the supposedly protected landward side of Queen Bess Island, off Grand Isle. With oil undisputably hitting the beaches and the number of dead wildlife mounting, BP is switching tactics. I can see them sitting in the room saying, oh my God, the, the more pelicans wearing oil and people are beginning to talk. We got we to gotta come up with some other scam. Call the White House. 
And in Orange Beach, people say BP wouldn't let them collect carcasses. Instead, the company was raking up carcasses of oiled seabirds. One resident complained, there's no way those birds are going to be autopsied. BP is destroying evidence. Why am I not surprised? The body count of affected wildlife is crucial to prove the harm caused by the spill and also serves as an invaluable tool to evaluate damages to public property. Yeah, the dolphins, sea turtles, whales, seabirds, fish, and more that are owned by who? They're owned by the American public. Disappeared body counts means disappeared damages and disappeared liability for BP. I say BP should not be collecting carcasses, except perhaps for the members of their board of directors. The job should be given to the NOAA, which is a federal agency, and volunteers, as was done in the Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska. Well, here's one for you, Pete. I, I, I know you know uh, Representative Ike Skelton, conservative Missouri Democrat. Well, he's kind of a populist Democrat. Yeah, he's, he's, he's weird and he's okay. He's a mixture. Well, he's the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee. That's right. That's a fairly heavy-duty job, okay? Yeah. Well, <laughs> he said that he thought the debate in Congress over the proposed repeal of the don't ask, don't tell policy might force families to explain homosexuality to their children. No. Yes, and this is what he said. What do mommies and daddies say to their seven-year-old child? First of all, what is the chairman of the Armed (laughs) Services Committee referring to parents as mommies and daddies? Is he afraid of the dark? (laughs) And here's the thing. Don't ask, don't tell, okay? Well, first of all, we should tell all of the seven and eight-year-olds out there that are listening, don't ask about homosexuality. No. Don't make your parents get really upset and try and talk about the birds and the bees when the birds and the bees are both guys, okay? Yeah, especially if you're seven years old. You and know. then don't tell. If your kid wakes up, you know, amongst all of his little bears and all these things, Daddy, what is homosexuality and what does it have to do with the efficiency and fighting power of the army? Don't tell them. That's right. Don't tell them. Don't ask, don't Don't tell. tell. Let's go back to the land of fences and wingnuts, where it's too hot to think clearly. Beautiful Arizona. Sheriff's deputies raided two Sizzler Steakhouse restaurants in Phoenix recently, arresting nine employees who are suspected of being illegal immigrants and using fraudulent documents to get jobs. Well, that is against the law, okay? The raids were part of a year-long investigation into whether the operators of the two Sizzler locations broke a civil law by knowingly hiring illegal immigrants This according to Maricopa Sheriff's uh, spokesman, Lieutenant Brian Lee. Deputies were looking for 23 suspects wanted for identity theft, Lee said. Authorities believe one of the suspects was deported three times and has been hired back by Sizzler each time he returned. I've been away. I've I've been just taking a little time to think things through, but I'm back. The sheriff's office received a tip from a former Sizzler manager who claimed he had been fired because he wouldn't hire employees with improper documents. This is another example of a case where desperately needed jobs are being occupied by illegal aliens who have disregarded our laws and our borders, said Sheriff Joe Arpaio said in the statement. I'm probably mispronouncing his name, and I don't care. By the way, Sheriff, you are completely wrong. There are no Anglos standing in line for these jobs. 
you know, because there are no jobs on TV working in the Sizzlers. There is no cultural support for these jobs. The Anglos won't take them. It's a diss. Arpeo, known for pushing the bounds of how local law enforcement agencies can confront Ill- illegal immigration, frequently raids workplaces in the greater Phoenix area for people in the U.S. illegally. Here's the question. Where's the story of this good sheriff knocking on the corporate doors of Sizzler? Isn't it illegal for Sizzler? Didn't we just read that it's illegal for them to hire people without proper documentation? What are they thinking? Well, I didn't know, man. It's not our problem. That that, that, that Xerox piece of paper looked like looked like the real thing to me. You know, jump on the undocumented. Don't jump on the fat cats because they can jump back. Another fine Oz, if I might say so myself, but no Oz is complete without a touch of tang. Let's have it. A little bit of tang from Wang Wei back in the 8th century. This is just a sweet little poem. It doesn't have to do with spring or anything else. It's, That's okay. We can, be, we can be generalists. Yeah, it's, it's all yeah. right. This, this one is titled My Mount Chungnang Cottage by Wang Wei. Since middle age, I've been a most enthusiastic Buddhist. Now that I'm old, I've settled here in the mountain country. Sometimes I get so happy, I have to go off by myself. There are marvelous places I alone know about. I climb to the source of a stream and sit to watch the rising mists. Sometimes I come across an old man of the woods. We talk and laugh and forget to go home. That's Oz for today. The Oz team that makes it all happen. There's myself, your host, Peter Bergman, my co-host, David Osman, John Cumming, our electronics uh, consultant. Phil Fountain is head of the Oz Design Group. Make it oh so pretty. Tom Goodwillow is our webmaster. Chaz Glass does the financials, crunches the numbers, and keeps us straight. Dave Maloney, he owns Blue U, and he does all this fabulous audio recording. Bill McIntyre produces the whole schmageggy, and Scott Wilde is our social media guru. Catch you on the other side.